From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post Podcast. Here with Michael Trakos, the national hockey writer for Post Media. Usually me and Mike are talking face-to-face on Bloor Street in Toronto, but he happens to be in Philadelphia tonight. He's in the city of brotherly love. How is it going, Mike? Hey, pretty good, John. Yeah, uh, here for Philadelphia for uh, Eric Lindros's uh, jersey retirement. Uh, number 88 is going to be Race to the Rafters in Philadelphia. And uh, kind of funny, like I think five, maybe uh, ten years ago, obviously, um, no one would ever think that uh, the two sides between him and Philly would ever kind of patch things up. So it's uh, it's great to see kind of in the uh, same vein as Toronto patching things up with Dave Keon, uh, Philadelphia, uh, city of brotherly love, um, has welcomed back the Big E with open arms, and uh, um, they're playing the Leafs on Thursday night, so it should be a good one. Um, kind of two teams maybe going in uh, different directions right now. Yeah, thankfully for uh, Lindros and the Flyers, this this falling out, we'll call it, didn't last as long as Keon's. Keon's must have been decades. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like, uh, how that was able to kind of drag on for that many years. And really, I guess it took a guy like Brendan Shanahan to say enough is enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> and he would have been a kid at the time when uh, all this was going on between Keon and, and Harold Ballard. But uh, it's kind of silly. And you're right, yeah, I'm glad uh, Philadelphia didn't allow it to, to kind of go on and on. Because you could see, uh, talking to Eric Lindros, he's extremely happy that he's able to kind of go back to uh, the city with his kids and uh, really turn what was a, a negative um, end to his uh, tenure there into something positive. And, um, and you know, I, I'm all about the kind of feel good, happy stories. And I, I hope everyone um, that gets traded or has kind of a, a sour feeling um, after leaving a team can kind of go through that as well because it really does kind of like really when you think about Eric Lindros it's as a flyer, you don't think of him as a Toronto Maple no. Leaf or a Ranger. Or even a Dallas, Dallas Stars, Stars. At the end of his career. Yeah, like I don't see too many Lindros Dallas Stars jerseys floating around. If you see a jersey, it's generally a, a Flyers jersey or a free in Toronto. You probably will see the odd Leaf one, but uh, it's just one of those ones where you just he's synonymous with that team. Absolutely, and you've been pumping out a few stories uh, throughout the week. So if anyone wants to follow up on on Mike's insight, uh, TorontoSun.com or NationalPost.com, and there's videos, there's photos. Uh, Mike's been doing some good stuff there. Um, but the reason why I'm having you on the podcast today is to talk about other things. Uh, we, you know, you're on very regularly, and we haven't done a midway point podcast yet. So I thought, you know, we're we're past the midway point. Uh, I actually looked it up today. I think we're at the 56 percent mark of the season. Um, so I want to talk about the awards. Um, you know, sort of midway or, or 56% awards um, later in the show. First, though, uh, something more pressing. Uh, the trade deadline's about five weeks away. Uh, the magical date is February 26th. I'm sure we will all be disappointed as we are every year with the deadline. But, you know, until then, let's get excited and let's talk about uh, the rumblings going around the National Hockey League. Um, so, first off, who, who in your mind are the sellers in this market? And who, in your mind, are the buyers? It's it's funny, John, because this year, like, you look at the standings, and there's such a division uh, between uh, the teams that are obviously in a playoff race or in the playoffs uh, right now, and especially when you look at the Eastern Conference. Like, 
Um, basically, after uh, Boston and Toronto uh, from the Atlantic Division, you can basically write out write off uh, all the rest of those teams. Like there's, I think, uh, a double digit gap between the Leafs and the next best team. Um, so when you're talking about who's the who's going to be a seller, I would think everyone from Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal, Florida, and even the Detroit Red Wings are going to be sellers and. Um, that's just in the Eastern Conference, so there's going to be a ton of teams. Like that's not even mentioning the Arizona Coyotes, who, you know, looking at their um, cap situation, they don't have a whole lot of interesting names. But uh, I would also put Vancouver Canucks in there, and you know, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to say the Edmonton Oilers because I don't think uh, they've quite given up on the season, even though there's a, a 10 point margin between them and the uh, final wild card spot. Um, but just even the, the teams I've mentioned there. Um, we're almost into uh, what seven or eight teams there, so um, I can see a lot of movement this year. I know we do say that every year, and like you just mentioned, we're always typically disappointed. Yep. But I, I get a feeling where, um, with the draft not being really um, like I, I know no one wants to give up first overall picks, especially because um, you've got a generational player waiting there in Rasmus Dahlin, and because if you do miss the playoffs, really. Uh, you do have a chance at winning that pick, uh, as New Jersey kind of showed it last year. Um, having said that, um, I could see a team uh, parting ways with the first overall pick, or sorry, for a first-round pick, um, if it means getting uh, a, a piece that they think that can help them, uh, especially when you're talking about that many sellers available this year. Yeah, I'd say uh, the East, as as you alluded to, is pretty wide open once you get past Tampa Bay. Um, you know, you mentioned Boston. They're sort of they're surging. So is Washington, um, and you know, Tampa Bay could add you know right-handed defenseman or something. Uh, you know, you could say the same thing about Toronto, uh, Columbus. I find an interesting team because uh, they could use a center. Uh, they could use uh, some forward depth, but not exactly like glaring needs anywhere. Um, and Jack Johnson just uh, requested yes. a trade, right? Yeah, so so, so they that, sort of there, there's a piece right there. Yeah, so they have yeah they have a built-in piece. It's, it's completely public at this point. Um, and then in the West, uh, in terms of in terms of buyers, you got to think Winnipeg uh, with with sort of the window of opportunity they have here. Well, you know the 100%. West the West is very tight, but there comes a time when, especially a team like Winnipeg, who who's been so starved for the playoffs, there comes a time. When you need to just pull the trigger, you need to go. I don't know if all in is the right way to put it, but you need to go. You know, ninety-five percent in. You know, if you have a deal on the table and, and maybe you're sacrificing some some future assets, just you know, sometimes you just have to do it. Um, and I'm not saying their window's closing at the end, at the end of this year, but boy, they they've looked pretty dominant, and, and you just got to pull the trigger. Um, Nashville's Nashville's a very interesting buyer. Um, just because David Poyle's already pulled off the the Turris and and Duchesne trade, like you know, and you look around the roster, you're like, I don't I don't really know. Maybe a couple things around the edges, but I can't see there being a, a big splash opportunity there. Um, and then I also well, see where I could see Nashville making a deal is getting a, a guy from the KHL and Eli Tolvanen. Yes, yes. Um, if his season ends early, I don't know what the uh, can't recall when the actual season ends or if it, if he's out in the first or second round, but he could be a definite pickup in the same way that when they got uh, Alexander Radulov and that, that could be almost better than any other trade acquisition uh, made at the deadline in, in my opinion oh absolutely if you I mean it's like uh, 
teams that are are getting injured players back near the deadline you know right. the, the, the phrase of their own rental player it's i mean if you can pull them from another league and add them to your lineup that's that's even better than than the injured player um you could make a case for the stars and the blues as well being being buyers in the west um so it, it seems like uh, this this year the way that things have kind of uh, shucking out, sh- shucking out. I don't know what the what the right word is. Um, the way that it's that the way that's unfolded. That's what I'll say. Is that there are these basement dwelling teams, and then there's a huge glut of teams that are still eh, within playoff contention. Uh, you know, to varying degrees. Um, and then you have you know the the Tampa Bay's and the Winnipeg's and the Vegas's of the world that are not necessarily running away with it, but you know there's there's very little question marks around them. Although, hey, can I ask you, John? Just can, can we stop for a second? Like, absolutely. Can I ask you about Vegas, like, what's your opinion on what the Golden Knights should do? Because when George McPhee assembled this team, it was with a definite uh, goal in mind of, all right, let's get a couple guys who are going to be UFAs at the end of the year that uh, could have a decent year. Then he flips them. Well, I don't know. Can you flip James Neal now at the trade deadline? I wouldn't. Can you flip a guy like uh, a Jason Garrison or Luca Sabisa? Um, they've got a lot of uh, Nate Schmidt, uh, or sorry, I guess he's next year, but they've got a lot of guys who are either RFAs or UFAs at the end of this year. David Perron's another guy um, where I think at the beginning of the year you're going, oh, 100%, there's a guy that you're going to move at the deadline. Well, no one banked on Vegas not only being um, a playoff contender, but uh, would you throw them into a Stanley Cup contender status? I think based on the record, you might have to right now. So, that's another one where I'm thinking, geez, in the long-term plan, um, this team being this good this early has kind of messed things up a little uh, when you think about what George McPhee was trying to do. Yeah, well, I, the way I broke things down, and you kind of took the words out of my mouth when um, when I was talking there in, in, a, in a good way, there's there's the buyers, there's the sellers, and then there's the wild cards. And I would put uh, Vegas in wild card, but also closer to a buyer just because um, – you know they've been they've been signing guys like John Merrill, Derek Eglund. Right. Like there's it's it's almost like they they made their expansion draft uh, had the intentions of, of of getting rid of of X Y and Z and have just been so impressed with almost man to man that they've decided to you know maybe we want these guys for the future and I don't know if that'll end up being um, the the case for James Neal or David Perron, but I, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. Everything has just gone right everything has fallen into place and i was very skeptical of vegas in the early part of the season but i'm i'm sold on them at least being um well 100 being a playoff team and i'm sold on them at least you know challenging in the first round and and, and seeing where they they can go with this with this remarkable run i like i'm hesitant to after 45 or 46 games to to give them any sort of contender status but i mean they're, they're proving us wrong left right and center and just I don't know. You you wait for the wheels to fall off on this thing, but it just they aren't. I mean, even I watched uh, the game last night that they played. Um, drawn a blank on on who they lost one nothing to. Uh, they lost one nothing to Nashville last yes, night. Yes, to yeah. Nashville. Nashville, like legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I have no doubt in my mind. And Vegas was hanging with them all night. They just didn't get the bounces. Like that, it was it it felt like a playoff game. It looked like a playoff game because the two teams right. were playoff teams. So. I, I guess that's a long way of saying I'm not sure what George McVie is going to do, but I would be, um, uh, I would, I would, I would sort of ear on the side of, of of them being buyers versus sellers. Yeah, the funny thing is, like, as long as they get home ice advantage, 
they're basically you you can count them in for the next round. Like their home record right now is remarkable, eighteen two and two. Like the only team that's kind of close to that uh, uh, dominance at home is Winnipeg, and it's it's kind of funny. Like one city you don't want to go to uh, (laughs) because of the cold, and it's just nothing to do. And the other city is complete opposite, where you can't wait to get there and get out of the hockey rink because there's just so much to do. But uh, both teams are tearing it up. Um, and then in regards to Murphy, like we didn't even mention Jonathan Marshall show, like yes. he gets re-signed. There's another guy yes. that I think a lot of us maybe thought, okay, well put your one year in and you're going to get traded at the deadline to a contender. But, um, yeah, it, it is kind of funny when you look around the league in terms of, um, those wild card teams. And another wild card team for me would be the Colorado Avalanche, hmm. who, uh, by all accounts, when they made the Matt Duchesne trade, I thought a lot of us were thinking, okay. Here's a team that's going to be in the Rasmus Dahlin sweepstakes. Um, they're going to be almost as bad as Arizona, if not worse. Um, and lo and behold, Nathan McKinnon just goes on a tear. Um, Miko Rantanen goes on a tear. Um, Jonathan Bernier is now going on a tear. I think he's won six straight games for them, and this is a team that has won seven straight. And while they're not in the playoff spot, um, while we're talking here and now, um, they've got, I think, something like two or three games in hand on the teams above them, and they're only a couple points out. So if Colorado can keep this going towards a trade deadline, uh, do they become a buyer in your mind, John? That's tough to say just because their their trajectory as a team, you know, hints towards the future that the, that what we're seeing this year isn't necessarily uh, – not that it's not sustainable, but just they have they don't have it together. Um, I, yeah. And 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 I'm looking at my wild card list, and and I want to talk about Pittsburgh because they're sort of the anti Vegas. They've sort of they've underachieved, and you know uh, Matt Murray, Matt totally. Matt Murray was injured, uh, you know, hasn't played well, and then unfortunately his his dad died, and and now he's he's gone from the team for a bit here. So they have they have issues in goal. I don't know if they can solve those via trade or or if it's just a matter of of waiting things out. Um. So so I mean. <laughs> With Pittsburgh, like I guess there's a possibility that they won't make the playoffs, but I think I think they 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 get in, you know, whether it's squeaking in or, or they go on a run down the stretch. Um, but but that's funny how Vegas don't, they, you know, that team does not have the pedigree. Pittsburgh does, and and they're both sort of in this middle ground, this this sort of uh, purgatory uh, near the deadline. So Pittsburgh's a team to watch. Vegas, and then also um, I have New Jersey and Chicago down, um, just because. You know, the Devils have already made a splash. They picked up uh, Vatnin. Is is that all they want? Do they want to, you know, uh, call this their their year, or are they going to sort of wait it out and, and see how uh, the dominoes fall and, and and you know think more long term? Um, and then Chicago is sort of uh, they're in a tough spot because uh, Corey Crawford is is likely out for the year. Um, there was a report the other day, I believe it was yesterday. We're recording this, I should mention, um, on Wednesday night. And uh, they're not in the playoffs right now. I don't know how they make the playoffs without a guy like Corey Crawford uh, in net. So, um, you know, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Like, it's hard to compare to previous years. But I feel like sort of the dynamic of the league is different this year. And, and it's a little more interesting. I find it hard to get to get up for the deadline a lot of years just because it's a lot of hoopla. But I think this year is legit, like, interesting. Yeah, I could see, like, you mentioned Pittsburgh. You mentioned Chicago. There's, they're both established teams, like you said. And I could see them making maybe a, I want to say that they're going to be buying or they're going to be selling. I almost think they're going to make a sort of lateral type move to kind of really kind of shake things up because 
really, the, they still have the basis. They still have the core of their roster. Like with Pittsburgh, like Crosby, Malkin, Kessel, um, they're not going anywhere. But having said that, is this the year? Um, maybe it doesn't happen at the deadline. Maybe it's a, it's a trade that happens in the summer where they do move a guy like Kessel and just try to shake things up and maybe get a, another defenseman or get maybe two or three pieces that can help them going forward because um, it almost seems like instead of a rebuild or um, they almost need like a retool or a refreshing, so to speak. And same thing with uh, Chicago. Um, losing Marion Hosa obviously hurt them. Uh, now you lose Corey Crawford, who... No, it's funny. I had like the midterm awards uh, uh, that I had written a couple weeks ago, and I think I had Corey Crawford as my surprising. Um, he's going to be in the mix for the Vezina. Yeah, he keeps playing he's having a great year. Playing. Yeah, and then this happens, and now you're looking, okay, well, can Jeff Glass do it? And, well, Jeff Glass just made his NHL debut uh, as an NHL journeyman a couple weeks ago, so that's probably a lot to ask. And, you know, depth obviously is hurting the Blackhawks, so – um, like I said, I, I could see them making sort of one of those lateral moves where uh, you're moving at a piece that um, maybe isn't a traditional rental player, uh, but it's going to help you um, maybe just kind of refresh in the roster and give your roster uh, a sort of a different look that might help uh, some of those core players that are going to be back. If I'm the Penguins, I'm not I'm not touching Kessel. He's playing the best hockey of his life. He's he's leading the team in scoring and. I don't know. I, I would I would kind of uh, tough that He's out. A bad seed, John. He's a bad seed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not falling for that no, one. I, I'm not saying move him because he's a problem. I'm yeah. saying move him because you're gonna have to move someone, and maybe you don't have to move someone. But when you look at that team, like I don't even know how they won the cup the last two years. Oh, I know. When you look at that defense. Like it's based. I don't want to say smoke and mirrors, but it's Sidney Crosby playing out of his mind, um, and them getting uh, a lot of contributions from guys like Gensel or Connor Sheary or um, Matt Murray also playing out of his mind. So, um, you know, maybe it's finally catching up to them. Maybe they're just a tired team. But um, I could see them trying to make some sort of deal, whether it's moving. I don't know. I just threw Kessel out there. But maybe it's a guy like Latang. Uh, maybe he becomes expendable um, at this point in his career with the contract he has and just – you know, maybe instead of one big name defenseman, Pittsburgh's more um, more in line to have a couple guys that uh, can get the job done. Uh, more quantity over quality. Yeah, props to uh, Jim Rutherford and Mike Sullivan. Like the the job that they've done as an organization, developing guys in the AHL, and almost seamlessly every single year putting a guy on Sidney Crosby's wing that that turns out to you know put pucks in the net or, or feed Crosby for goals. Like it just it's you know. It's almost it's just a yearly thing at this point, and you don't you don't even bat an eye. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they won the Crosby also. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not yeah, it's a it's a team effort there. Let's transition to the players on the market that these teams are chasing. Um, first question: um, If you're looking at at sort of the rumors, the rumblings, um, the trade requests, uh, such as a, a Jack Johnson, which player? is the prize jewel of this deadline class? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, uh, it's funny. Like, uh, I, I would think Evander Kane would be. Yeah, uh, he's yet, my vote. He, he comes, yeah, I don't know. Like, all right, is every team going to be in on Evander Kane? Like, I know the numbers speak for themselves, but also there's a reputation there. And I wonder if some teams are kind of uh, worrisome about, hey, we've got something cooking here. We've got um, a great... Um, where teams, uh, teams rolling, a uh, great dressing room, 
do we want to kind of shake things up and bring in a Evander Kane? Um, and and I don't know like what's what's going on behind closed doors. I don't know if he's a he's a, he's a problem in the dressing room, but um, you hear the rumblings and. You know, I think it's an, it's always an issue, whether it's Evander Kane or any other player you add at the deadline. There's been a lot of cases where a team has been rolling like no one else, and then they add a piece, and then for whatever reason, it changes the dynamic, whether on the room in the room or on the ice in terms of how the lines shake up and um, things go kind of haywire. So, um, But that being said, I think Evander Kane's probably at the top of most people's list. I, I know you're going to mention maybe Max Pacioretty, and I'm still skeptical that the Canadians, um, after all the big-name players they've traded, would trade as their captain as well, um, really three players in the last three years. Um, but who do you think, uh, if it's not Evander Kane, who do you see kind of being the, the big fish in, in this year's uh, trade market? Yeah, I would say I would say Kane is, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire in terms of, of rumors. And, you know, he's, he's a pending UFA. He's having a great season. Like, it just seems almost automatic. But... You know, there's the quote-unquote character issues, which I don't necessarily like speculating on because I, I have nothing to add. It's just rumors. Um, so I wonder if that that not necessarily affects that he gets traded in general, but the amount of teams that are actually, you know, putting their names forward. Um, I think he's I think he's yeah. the best player that's quote-unquote available. I don't think he's going to Vegas. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Um, I think he's the best player that's available, or at least uh, seemingly available. Um, Max Pacioretty, like, like you alluded to, it, it's sort of it could happen because uh, you know Montreal's such a bubble, and, and sometimes it, it, it bursts because uh, of all the pressure or or the the playing ability, or you know the odd uh, things that the GM and coach tend to say. Um, so we'll see with that, um, especially because he's 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 relatively cheap for what he offers, uh, four point nine a year. And he only has one year left on his contract, so you know if I'm if I'm a contending team, I'm at least inquiring about Max Pacioretty. I don't know if it, it ends up working down the road. Um, what about Mike Green, uh, Detroit defenseman? He's 32 now, uh, carries a pretty big cap hit of of, of six million. Obviously, that's cut uh, drastically by the time uh, the deadline rolls around. But he's UFA in the summer, so he's a total rental. Um, and obviously Detroit shouldn't be keeping uh, on, you know, a hold of him, uh, even even if they're not offered anything great. I mean, you got to part ways with him and, and get something out of uh, the the final weeks and months of, of his contract there. So, do you see a fit for Green anywhere off the top of your head? Oh yeah, every team can use a defenseman, especially a guy you can play on your power play like Green can. And I think there's going to be a lot of interest. I think in some ways Mike Green's probably going to trump. Evander Kane in terms of the interest just because of the position he plays and because you know what you're getting with him like uh, Mike Green has his defensive work like Kevin Shattenkirk had uh, last year but at least they're front and center versus um, like the speculation we're making about a guy like Evander Kane in terms of the character uh, with Mike Green um, he, he can help you um, tangibly help you like he's got five goals 25 points in 44 games with the Red Wings this year um, pretty decent numbers for a defenseman. He's playing close to 23 minutes a night as well. Um, and when you're saying which teams could use them, well, there's going to be a long list. I think Toronto's probably going to be um, amongst those teams that uh, are probably going to be um, looking at a guy like Mike Green. But really, you can go all the way around uh, the NHL. Um, like Name a team that can't use uh, defensive help or at least defensive depth. And um, really, like I said, any contending team is going to be looking at this guy. As usual, right-handed defenseman, uh, 
the supply and demand of it is all screwed up. Uh, you got Erica Branson also in Vancouver who may be available. And uh, like we mentioned before, on the left side, Jack Johnson with Columbus. And then Johnny Oduya potentially uh, in Ottawa, who's probably a tier below those guys. But nevertheless, uh, right. a guy that you could probably plug in your uh, your third pair. Um, last guy, Thomas Vanek. Uh, it's kind of the same old story with him. Um, it's either him, Martin Hansel, or Anton Vermette, who are always brought up as, as <laughs> rental players. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's almost like a tradition at this point. Um, small cap hit, UFA. Uh, I mean, the, the only thing working against him is that he seems to always have great regular seasons and then just dis- disappear in the playoffs. So I don't know if teams will shy away now or if they'll look at what he's done, you know, with Brock Besser and, and, and guys in, in Vancouver and putting up a lot of points. If they think, okay, we're, we're going to take a chance, you know, there's, there's very uh, little to lose here and just add them potentially on the cheap. Yeah, that's the thing with uh, like a guy like Vanek. I think the the book has been written on him. Um, if you're expecting this guy to be uh, defensively responsible, if you're expecting some physicality, you're not going to get it. Obviously, but what you are going to get is a guy who's going to put put himself in the front of the net and try to tip in pucks and um, help you out that way. And uh, you can help a team out on the power play. And you know, as you go down uh, in the season and. Uh, the games become tighter. Um, one power play goal can really shift the outcome of a game, uh, especially a playoff game. So maybe a guy like Vanek becomes a little available, uh, um, becomes in demand. Uh, last year he gets traded to uh, the Florida Panthers uh, as they made that push for the playoffs. Uh, he actually didn't do poorly. Like he had 10 points in 20 games, and um, but Florida obviously fell short of that goal. So. Um, I'm kind of curious to see what kind of market is out there. I don't think you're spending a whole lot on a guy like Thomas Vanek, but um, if you can get him, then you know what? You could probably get a third line forward that can play on your second power play unit, and um, if nothing else, he's just a depth guy. I'm kind of curious also, like, we're talking just about UFAs, and typically that's what gets moved, but I wonder if now's the time where Ottawa. Um, looks at moving a guy like Cody Stacey. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think Mark Stone's going anywhere, but both those guys are RFAs, and uh, I just I'm kind of curious to see if uh, what's a guy like Cece, only 24 years old, he probably has a little bit more upside um, than some of the other names that we might see on the UFA kind of trade market. I don't know what your thoughts are. I'm kind of I don't know. I think Cody Cece is what he is by the time he's this age, and. I don't know. He's he's been given a fair amount of opportunity in Ottawa and hasn't really been able to seize it. So if I'm a contending team, I'm more or less unless I'm getting him on the, uh, you know, for I'm trying to think for a third round pick, a fourth round pick. I'm not I'm not touching Cody CC at the deadline. Okay. I'm low on Cody well, CC. <laughs> yeah, apparently you're uh, <laughs> not the chapter president of the Cody CC fan club, like I was led to believe. <laughs> Pacioretty, though, I'm just looking right now. So, you know, we're talking about Vanek and how, uh, you know, his his first half of the season versus what might happen in the second half and, you know, what's 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 the reality? I think Max Pacioretty has way more to give in, in his second half. Yeah. He's, he's an 11% shooter. Like, he's a he's a good shooter. He's a, guy, he's a sniper. He's one of the best in the league, really. Right now, he's, he's shooting 7%. You think, okay, there, you know, the back end of this, of this season is going to be a little better for him assuming that he gets a little puck luck. Um, yeah, well, that's probably why he's not going anywhere, though, also, right? Like, yeah. Are, are like, you... I don't know how many guys Montreal can part with. But. 
between them and the Oilers, I'm constantly scratching my head in, in terms of what direction they're going and, and what the the plan is. Like, I mean, it just seems to be always crisis mode between those two teams. Yeah, with, with Edmonton, at least you're thinking, okay, well, you've got Connor McDavid there. Um, <laughs> that, that gets you over a, a lot of problems uh, when you've got a generational center. Um, with, with Montreal, uh, whether it's trying to throw Duran at the center spot or – I'm trying to draft one. Uh, they, they seem to have bigger issues there. Um, obviously, Shea Weber's not getting any younger, uh, which hurts them. And you're really hoping that a guy like Victor Mete can come in and be uh, what they had in Mikhail Sergachev because um, as you're going along, uh, this team just keeps kind of creating holes for itself uh, where there wasn't any holes. Like, had they not made any of these trades, and you're looking at a team that still has P.K. Subban, has Sergachev on the back end, um, and is in a decent position going forward. Um, now as it stands, uh, um, well, also losing Radulov hurts in the UFA, but uh, I, I just, it, it seems like they're wasting years either by Carey Price or Shea Weber. Or, um, they're kind of spinning their tires, and you don't know exactly, like you said, what direction they are in or what direction they should be going in, but obviously what they're doing right now isn't working. Yeah, the clock is ticking in Montreal given uh, Weber and Price's, those two contracts, as well as their advanced age. I mean, uh, you, you hope that they, they you know, settle down and maybe don't knee-jerk trade a guy like Max Petretti and, and maybe next year there's there's greener pastures. And the Jonathan Duren thing, the whole talking about him and Alex Galchenyak and, and the center position, I think they need to just take those three words, center, Druin, and Galchenyak, and never speak of them again to the media because it just becomes a story <laughs> Every time it happens, and I don't blame the journalists. It's like that it has been an issue that they haven't had a first line center. So, you know, you're going to ask, and the quotes are going to make their way online and, and, you know, be blown up on broadcast and all that. But if I'm management or coach, I just, I somehow avoid those questions. I, I keep center, yeah. Drew, and, and, and Galchaniak out of my vocabulary. It's so funny, though. Like, from a guy who covered the Leafs for 10 years and saw all the missteps and mistakes they made, uh, to watch Montreal now from afar, it's, it's very similar. It's almost That's like interesting. deja vu for me because um, <laughs> it's just like one fire after another that the PR department's having to put out or um, they keep putting their foot in their own mouths and keep making trades that are blowing up in, in their faces and um, just making the wrong moves left, right, and center. And the Leafs, meanwhile, like, can you recall the last time they made like a, an egregious error, whether it was a, a bad signing, bad trade, or there was some off-ice drama happening? Like, Really, when you look at Toronto, the biggest issue right now is why is Roman Polak playing on your third defense pair? And should Austin Matthews be getting uh, slightly more power play time? And they are sort of real issues if you're uh, following this team in Toronto. But in the same way, when you compare them to Montreal, has traded away basically all their best prospects and keep trying to get guys to play center that aren't uh, centermen, um, it's laughable. So. Um, <laughs> I don't want to like. Um, <laughs> I'm not trying to laugh at the Montreal. You are literally fans, laughing at the, them. They're right fans, now. but uh, I, I'm just laughing at just how uh, quickly things have kind of turned in both the organizations' fates. Where uh, not too long ago, and we're talking but a year, two years ago, Montreal Canadiens were the perennial Stanley Cup favorite amongst all the Canadian teams, and now I don't think the Leafs are maybe the, the Cup favorites going into this off or this playoffs because. Uh, I do believe Winnipeg has probably a greater chance at winning, but 
after that, you'd have to put Toronto uh, right up there. I would agree. It's it's night and day, uh, the Montreal and, and Toronto problems. I agree. There, there are problems. You know, you talk about ice time issues, deployment issues, whatever, sort of coaching problems, we'll call them. But they're not long-term. They're short-term. Um, let, let's transition to the awards. So you did a mid-season awards uh, story. Um, we're obviously a few weeks after that. I'm curious if anything has changed as we go through this. Uh, um, let's start with the Calder. Um, who do you think uh, is is the front runner now for Rookie of the Year? You know what? Uh, it, it's still kind of a tough one. I, I think the front runner right now, um, I would still go with Brock Bezer. Um, but you know, the more looks I get at Matt Barzell, uh, I'm not completely uh, sure that this is a, a runaway race and. Um, that's probably a good thing that we're just going to kind of keep going down to the wire here with both guys. And both guys have been fantastic this year. Um, Bezer obviously is probably the better scorer of the two um, in the sense that, well, the guy's got 22 goals in 42 games. He's, I think last time I checked, he was at a pace um, that was greater than what uh, Austin Matthews scored at last season. I don't know if that's still true because I haven't done the math lately, but right. uh, Barzell uh, is winning the point race. So, um, you know, it, it might come down to um, who, well, you know that Barzell's going to win into the playoffs, or at least he's going to be closer to a playoff spot. And as the season goes on, if he's in a more prominent role and actually helping the Islanders achieve that goal, that, that might be the tipping factor. Yeah, that, to be honest, when, when I was preparing for this podcast, I had in my head Brock Besser uh, just slightly ahead of Matt Barzell, and, and the main reason being I, you know, I will take a goal score over a playmaker nine times out of ten, and I, you know, from what I've seen and 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 then the statistics, Brock Besser is is right up there, a top ten sniper in the league already. Um, so I'm going okay, Besser, it's got to be Besser. But then you start looking at Barzell between you know video clips, between the statistics, whether it's counting stats or underlying numbers, and I mean, that I think he's had a greater impact on. I think he has a greater impact on the game. I think Besser is a, is a great finisher, but I think Barzell, between the way that he can go end-to-end, uh, I think he's a more well-rounded player in general in terms of his defensive game. Um, I think the line mates maybe offset each other. You know, uh, Besser's got uh, Berchi, Horvat, Gagne, Vanek as his main line mates throughout the season due to injury. Um, and then Barzell has Eberle and Ladd. Like, I think that's more or less a trade-off. Um but I just think that Barzell is sort of a special case here where he's almost just warming up. And uh, I don't know. I, it's one of those things where it could go either way. Like, I, I would be happy uh, with with either conclusion. But I think at this very point in time, I'm, I'm giving, like, Barzell uh, a slight, slight, slight edge. Seems like Barzell is getting better as the season is going on, too. Like, he started off, I don't want to say slowly, because I'm looking at his splits right now, and he had seven points in October, then 17 in November, 12 in December, and so far in seven games in January, um, he's got 11 points. So, um, you know, the season's getting tougher, or it should be getting tougher, and his minutes are actually improving as from each month to month. So he is getting more responsibility, and where that um, where he's getting the responsibility, he's actually earning it and um, paying off his team uh, with more points and production. So, like I said, I think it could come down to um, if he's playing this way as as the Islanders are kind of looking at a playoff spot and 
uh, if they get into a playoff spot, and a large reason is because of the points that Barzell's putting up, well, then that might be too hard to ignore, uh, especially with this team. Like right now, the Islanders are one point back of the, the Penguins and the Rangers for the final spot, uh, wild card spot in the uh, the Eastern Conference. So uh, we know Vancouver is not going to find its way into a playoff spot. So that that might actually help Barzell more uh, and hurt Besser in terms of um, how v- uh, voters view it. Yeah, Barzell's just he's so dynamic. That 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 would be the one word to describe him. And he's he's crafty, he's slick. Like there's there's a lot to like there. And and as you were hinting at. The guy who usually has the most points at the end of the season uh, wins the award. Like, it's just the way it goes. Um, Defense-wise, I'll I'll mention as sort of an honorable mention that that Charlie McAvoy should not be forgotten in this uh, discussion. Uh, I'd I'd call him the number one dark horse. I think he he has some really stiff competition. Um, Good for – it's just dawning on me. I think – I think uh, what Besser was like twenty third, twenty second in in two thousand fifteen. Uh, Barzell was like mid mid. I think he was sixteenth or something. And then McAvoy was in the twenties. Like these are not guys who are supposed to be this good this soon. So I do enjoy that part of of this of this class. But uh, back to McAvoy, he's you know he's a he's a very good possession player. He's putting up points. He's playing on the power play. He's you know he's taking shootout attempts and, and scoring some of that. Like he's. He's contributing in more ways than just, you know, hanging on for dear life like a lot of young defensemen sometimes do. Yeah, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that there's, like, last year we saw the battle of one versus two and Matthews and Line and even uh, Mitch Marner and Nylander are up there and they're both top ten, uh, in Marner's case, the top five guy. <laughs> you go after, uh, you look at this year's rookie race and, Really, I think the highest draft pick in terms of like a top five guy is Nico Hishire, and right now he's number ten overall, which is not bad. Like he's having a, a decent year, um, considering how small the guy is. But um, it, it's a lot of guys like Alex DeBrincat, who I think was thirtieth uh, overall in his draft year, something like that, or even a second round pick. Yeah, I think he was like thirty first, um, second, like early, early second round. Yeah, I think and then you've got a guy Yanni Gord who was undrafted by the Lightning. Um, uh, Dante Heinen, uh, another guy who um, was on, what was he, a fourth-round pick of the Boston Bruins. Like, these guys are in your top five in rookie scoring right now. And um, you know, a lot of guys, probably a lot of hockey fans aren't even aware of who these guys are. Yeah, it's fantastic. I like to see it. Uh, and you can throw uh, Sergachev in there from the Lightning. Uh, th- that's going to be a theme, right. is that uh, the Lightning are pretty much in every single conversation in regards to awards, um, especially with the Vesna. I mean, the thing with Goalie of the Year is that I feel like we don't need to overthink this. I think it's uh, the goalie who most consistently is very good to great. I, I, you know, I think consistency is just so important with goaltending. And if you can sustain that wire to wire, it's super impressive. And at this point, Vezilevsky of, of the Lightning um, is my runaway favorite. Uh, six shutouts, a 930 save percentage. Is he playing on the best team in hockey? Yes. But he's also playing uh, a ton. Like, they're, they're not just throwing him out there against the easy teams. They're not, he's not really sharing the load. Um, he's obviously had some some nights off, but he's fourth in ice time right now. Um, so he's very much depended on. And 
I mean, things can change, but but I think right now his body of work is the most impressive, especially when you look at the underlying numbers, like goals saved above average and, you know, five-on-five save percentage. And, and, you know, when you get into really the nitty-gritty of it all, um, he still shows very well. I think Connor Hullabick of uh, the Winnipeg Jets also needs um, some love here, deserves some credit. Um, and there's also guys like Sergei Brabovsky, um, and other elite goaltenders who have the capability of, of really charging down the stretch and reversing a lot of the numbers and uh, potentially uh, pushing their team higher up in the standings um, through their performances. So I'm always sort of keeping one eye on, on, on the goaltenders that have shown in the past that they can really turn it on at a, at a moment's uh, notice. So that's pretty much what I'm thinking for the Vesna Vesilevsky uh, is the main man right now with some contenders uh, on the periphery. What about you, Mike? Yeah, I got Vesilevsky um, basically as my runaway favorite right now. But the guy I'm kind of keeping an eye on, um, who didn't get a whole lot of games in the first half, who's going to get a lot more in the second half, is Mark andre Fleury. And right now he's actually got better uh, better save percentage than any other goalie in the NHL. And um, same thing, I think, with his uh, save percentage is also – um, tops in the league. The only problem is he's only played in 14 games because he was out for so long in the first half. So um, you know he's going to get a lot of starts. He's going to get probably um, the bulk of the starts, obviously, in uh, Vegas in the second half as long as he stays healthy. If he can keep up those numbers, and Vegas is such a great story, um, you know that Vegas' success is largely dependent on, um, obviously, the contributions from Marcia Show and Neil and William Carlson, but a large part of it is also um, with how Marc-Andre Fleury's played in that. And if he can keep getting the job done in uh, Vegas, I could see uh, him getting uh, a lot of the votes and maybe even stealing the award away from Vasilevsky. So they have like 30, I don't know exactly how many, but roughly like 35, 37 games left. How many of those does he have to play for you to, like, let's say the season's over, if he's played... Well, if he plays 30 of them, that's uh, that, that'll give him, what, almost like 45... Uh, games. Uh, that's not bad. Um, that's not. I don't know if that's enough that's for me like to said. consider him. You think so? I guess most starting goaltenders are getting where between fifty-five and sixty-five, right? Yeah, it's it, um, like it would be a good story, but I just feel like it's like a little too late for him to, unless he like obviously like you said, he, if he if he ends up leading the league in save percentage, we take a look at it. But um, yeah, we, do you have a, a Vegas MVP at this point? Um, like. Do I have them in any MVP race? Or no, no, no. Like, have a... like their team. Like, who would you say has been their MVP? It's tough. It really is tough. Like, Gerard Gallant might be their MVP mm-hmm. and how he's been able to kind of piece everything together on that roster. But on any given night, whether it's uh, you're getting goals from, like I said, Marsha So or James Neal or William Carlson or um, it's either Subban or Flurry and Nett, uh, or the, the fourth string goalie at some <laughs> point this season. It, it has been crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I think when all is said and done, um, it's really hard not to say that Gerard Gallant um, hasn't been their MVP just because of he's taken a known, well, maybe not a no-name roster, but a roster of basically um, not quite superstars, and he, he's turned them into one of the best teams in the NHL. Yeah, let's talk with the Jack Adams. Like, I I I'm, I want to give it to Gallant, just like you know, hand him the trophy now. But there's also a couple other good <laughs> stories going on, right? I mean, like like Gallant's most likely gonna win. Let's face it. 
Look, the <laughs> the Vegas Golden Knights have a 709 points percentage right now. They're right up there with the best in the league in terms of you know how well they're playing and it's showing up in the standings. They have good underlying numbers. They have a decent goal differential. Uh, Galant's obviously figured out the right chemistry. You know that 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 kind of cringeworthy word chemistry. It, it's a thing. It's a thing. We do need to talk about it to an extent. And he's figured out a way for certain players to blend together. William Carlson is has come out of a shell and become a star in this league, which is just crazy. Um, and you know you got you got to really give Galant a little bit of credit for every player uh, performing at the level that they're performing at. Um, so him. Even if even if they were a portion of themselves right now, is in the conversation. I think he's he's the winner right now. But John Hines in New Jersey and John Stevens in LA also um, are worthy of of being in the same company as Gallant. Um, all three of those teams: Vegas, New Jersey, LA. You know, not hot picks at the start of the season, and uh, they they've all vaulted into. Uh, a good spot. LA not necessarily where they want to be. Um, as as of this recording, they're not in a playoff spot. Um, yeah, th- those three guys right now, top of my list with Gallant, um, kind of waving down to everyone else. Yeah, I'm not gonna really add too much to that. Maybe Bruce Cassidy's gonna get a little bit of love with how the Bruins are going. Yeah, but yeah. It, it's kind of funny. Like almost all my mentions and all your mentions are guys that. Um, took a team that maybe wasn't expected to go that far, has overachieved. We never gonna give love uh, to like the John Coopers, who um, really in Tampa. I know they've got a star-studded roster, but um, I don't. I don't know. Like, does John Cooper get any sort of recognition for what he's been able to accomplish this year in Tampa? Or are you just kind of like, well, of course they're good. <laughs> they're supposed to be good. No, I, I, he's definitely in my second tier. Um, like they've gone, they've pretty much haven't taken their foot off the gas, right? I mean, they've been consistent throughout this whole season, and there's something to be said for that. Um, I just think that the other yeah, stories I, are I so. Would give him, I would give him credit just for being an exciting coach too. Because, well, there's that. You know, like, he's not trying to coach defense on these guys. It looks like on most nights, it's like how many goals can we score before the 60 minutes are done? I just think the other the other three that I, that I mentioned, Glant. Hines and Stevens are 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 more compelling. Uh, like like you look at Stevens, the whole you know we have a new mindset in LA and and all the lip service that they gave during uh, the off season, and then they come and and they're a different team. And although you know you look at the standings right now, it doesn't look super pretty. They're they have the third best goal differential in their conference at, at plus twenty two. Like the, it's going to turn around. I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they had a, a top three spot in in the Pacific. And to me, that's a pretty big win when. Uh, a lot of people counted this team out uh, after last year, not making the playoffs and and not turning around the ho- the roster really at all, like uh, very minor ads. Right. And uh, look where they are now. So, um, yeah, the Jack Adams again, another another award that that you know just a lot of good stories, a lot of um, intriguing, unexpected things happening. Um, I'd I'd say the Norris might be the one that. Um, is 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 least interesting? I think I would say. Um, uh, who are you uh, sort of putting on a pedestal in terms of defensemen this year? Well, you know what? I had uh, Victor Hedman as my sort of favorite. Uh, I'm not going to say a runaway favorite, but he was my favorite with um, how he was playing. Um, he was putting up the points, and he was also um, just 
obviously is a horse back there on defense, but uh, like, what is his injury status going to be? Like, is he? He's not back from that uh, uh, that kind of awkward uh, collision that he suffered last week, is he? And if um, if he's out for a while, uh, I wonder if Drew Doughty is going to um, win his second award. And um, if not him, then it's maybe a guy like John Klingberg gets some love. Although I'm kind of curious as to. Um, if anyone's actually going to vote for Klingberg because, I don't know, I haven't seen a whole lot of him in terms of his all-around game, but uh, from what I hear, um, he, he might not be kind of, quote-unquote, Norris-worthy. Yeah, I have Doughty as as the favorite right now and then sort of a second tier of, of Victor Hedman and Alex Petrangelo, maybe even Hedman above uh, Petrangelo, and then, and then the fourth tier would be Klingberg. And the Klingberg uh, mention is more so the point totals that he's putting up. If he continues on that trajectory, uh, I think that he'll get votes. That's sort of where where I'm going with with that. I don't I don't think he's he's worthy of, of the Norris right now, but it's sort of like a guy to keep an eye on. Yeah, it almost reminds me of uh, Mike Green and points he was putting up uh, years ago, where um, obviously he led I think he led all defensemen in goals and points, but uh, end up losing the award uh, that year anyway. So. Uh, I'm with you. I think right now, as long as Hedman can kind of get back in there and uh, can continue doing what he's doing, he's my favorite. And then I've got Dowdy. Then I got Petro Angelo. And after that, it's it's a bit more wide open. Okay, with the uh, the heart, the MVP, uh, drum roll, please. I think that this is going to be another tough vote at the end of the year. Um, and I think at, at this point, at uh, the famed 56% point of the season. Um, Nikita Kucherov, Nathan McKinnon, and John Tavares are my three. Um, do you have any different names in there? No, I've got those three as well. Um, I'm trying to think which guy can maybe sneak in there, and I'd have to maybe put Blake Wheeler as my um, yeah, that's fair. Really fourth guy um, that could kind of sneak in there, just because you know, like they're obviously without Mark Shifley, um, and Wheeler's still getting the job done. Um, right now, he's tied for sixth in scoring. Um, a lot, a, a lot more assisting goals this year. But you know, like I don't think he gets nearly as much credit as some of the other kind of stars around the league. And uh, for Winnipeg fans, uh, anyone who watches that team on a regular basis, um, they love what Blake Wheeler brings on a nightly basis. And maybe it gets overshadowed by Shifley or by Line A on any given night. But this guy's just been a force uh, up front for them. Yeah, I'm a big uh, Blake Wheeler fan. I would, I would, I would put Kucherov as as my number one right now, just based on on how dominant he has been uh, this season, how um, how dangerous he is every time he has the puck. As for the Colorado Avalanche and their star Nathan McKinnon, superstar, I'll say. <laughs> if they make the playoffs, it's going to be McKinnon versus Kucherov, because number twenty nine on Colorado, the the impact he has on that hockey team. Is, is is hard to quantify um, and and he's 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 basically the player that that we all thought he would be when he was drafted and I, I I like I really like when this when this sort of unfolds before your eyes in one season when it's not sort of a I mean I guess it's a gradual thing but but when he really just bursts onto the scene and is like you know I'm I'm here to be a top player in this league I am elite and just uh, there, there's a there's sort of a, a confidence to him. Um, so you're seeing that and, you know, going from, from such a, 
a disastrous team last year to the playoffs needs to be in my opinion uh weighted in weighed into that because it's not like it's not like you look up and down a Colorado's roster and go this is a playoff team like you go this is a work in progress so if they can make the playoffs I think McKinnon is is such an integral part of that that he needs to be right up there with Kucherov I, I agree and I think it'd be the greatest story um uh, for uh, the Hart Trophy race if Nathan McKinnon uh emerges not just uh, as the Hart Trophy winner, but gets this team into the playoffs, and you know maybe if he even wins the scoring title, like you got to think, like you take away Matthew Shane, no one expected this. Even with Duchesne on the roster, no one expected this. But to take away uh, a guy of Duchesne's caliber and to replace him with uh, basically futures and uh, draft picks, well, <laughs> the the fact that McKinnon has taken that and just turned this team around and um, caught fire, well, it's great to see and. It's not really surprising, like you said, because even watching what the World Cup of Hockey, I thought he was going to go from that tournament and just have himself a great year because he just looks so dominant and he's such a, a powerful skater and just a great player. But um, it is great to see because, really, he's as close to Sidney Crosby in terms of his playing style as anyone else, I think, in this league. And um, really has a chance of kind of doing what Sid has done in the last couple of years, which is uh, what he's doing right now, take a team, put him on his back, and really kind of take them uh, to the promised land. Yeah, nothing like uh, trading one of your best players midseason for no one really to help you now, and then you go on a run. Like that's that's somehow what what the Avalanche managed to do with with Duchesne, and uh, God bless them because it's it's been entertaining watching uh, Nathan McKinnon, um, as you say, put put the team on his back, and you wonder if the luck runs out, if the fairy dust uh, runs out, but. For now, I'm I'm all in on the ride of the Avalanche that that they're presenting uh, the hockey world with. No, oh, 100. percent And uh, let, let's hope the clock doesn't strike 12 uh, before the season ends, because uh, I think a lot of us are kind of well. You, you look at the prospects they have in the pipeline. It's a fun team, and I think hockey is all about just kind of fun stories. Or sports in general is about these kind of uh, Cinderella type stories. Mike, another uh, another podcast episode in the books uh thanks for joining and uh before you go let everyone know how they can find you on twitter and uh maybe plug uh eric lundross a, a little more because you are in philly right now yeah no problem though you can always read me uh, or find me on twitter at michael underscore tracos that's t-r-a-i-k-o-s and uh um you can find me as well as john's work in uh, every post media newspaper uh, whether it's the national post toronto sun what have you and um, this week I am uh, covering uh, Eric Lindros's jersey retirement and having number 88 race to the Raptors in Philadelphia. I've been here uh, uh, since Tuesday, um, spending time with Eric, his wife, and his three kids. And uh, um, yeah, I'll be continuing to write, uh, write about that today. I wrote about uh, how the fans in Philadelphia have kind of um, greeted him with open arms, a city of brotherly love, what have you. And uh, Tomorrow the jersey goes up, and uh, we'll, we'll see what kind of reaction he gets. Obviously, it's going to be, uh, I imagine, a standing ovation for this uh, one-of-a-kind player and a player that we've never seen really in the NHL before him. And really since then, I think the closest thing to an Eric Lindros-type player might be a guy like Alex Ovechkin. And even that doesn't really do the, the similarity justice. Um, um, just uh, for people of a certain age that maybe just saw him on clips, uh, there really wasn't a force that was as imposing physically as well as with the puck in the way that he could kind of uh, skate with the puck as Eric Lindros. Maybe it's Sidney Crosby, but 
even then Crosby or Ovechkin didn't initiate the contact like uh, Lindros did. So um, obviously a career that was cut short uh, way too soon because of injuries and really kind of slowed even before that uh, after too many hits to the head. But um, was a generational talent, was a generational player before Crosby, before McDavid, and before Matthews. And um, tomorrow night in Philadelphia, it's kind of being honored. Uh, it should be a great night. Yeah, he's just a just a complete freight train out there from what I remember. And oh, just coming, I can just, my, my sort of um, memories of him, just vague memories are, are him just coming straight down the middle of the ice with full head of steam with the puck because he had really good puck skills. Like he could stick handle with the best of them. He, he had a great wrist shot and just good luck getting a piece of him. Good luck, you know, knocking him off his course in any way. Obviously it did happen over the years with the head hits, but um, just night night to night, uh, there there maybe wasn't a more fearsome player of that era, and he's probably up there with the all-time greats uh, in terms of power forwards and guys that just are an absolute nightmare to face. Yeah, well, part of, like his biggest advantage was his fearlessness, and you mentioned he would skate through the middle of the ice. He would sometimes skate through the middle of the ice, obviously with his head down, and just knowing that if a guy tried to hit him, he would just the other guy would take the worst of it and bounce right off him. So he did have that fearlessness, and it kind of, uh, I think he knew when Eric Lindros was on the ice and definitely had the puck, but it was that fearlessness that obviously uh, was his downfall as well. Um, it, he did start taking hits to the head. He started to rock him a little harder and started penetrating that huge armor of his and um, ultimately ended to his uh, career demise. But um, like you mentioned, uh it was a short sort of career when you when you talk about his prime years. It might have been maybe six, maybe seven years of prime hockey. Uh, but like Burray, but like Bobby Orr, um, during those years, he might have been the best, if not one of the best players in the NHL, without a doubt. Well, I look forward to you uh, going to Dallas in a few years for when they retire as number two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I'll go to St. Louis for Gretzky's retirement as well. I can't wait for a Yager just... I think he might just do a tour like one week every night is a different team and they're just going to retire 68 in like every city in the NHL that would be so amazing and then also go to the KHL team and every casino <laughs> that he visited along the way as well I'm pretty sure he owns a Czech team so he can just he can retire that number like literally himself he can just say I'm retiring this and there you go so I mean I think he might have 10 teams on his list it's funny because Lindros was actually he spent a lot of time talking about Yager um, last night in a, a Q&A that he held with uh, some fans and he's got the utmost respect for a guy like Yags and he called him a freak numerous times and said that um, what, what's amazing is that the guy that he played with way back when and he, the guy's still playing and the guy still looks phenomenal and someone yelled to him hey Eric we could use you in Philadelphia Can you, are you going to suit him up and without a, missing a beat uh Lindros goes to the guy who asked it. He's like, are you, are you done with those wings? Can I have some? <laughs> Just <laughs> like, so over no being a hockey player. Yeah, he's, he's on to eating wings and enjoying his life. And <laughs> good on him because uh, he gave it us all. And you know, you know what? Uh, for anyone that got to see him, uh, we're all lucky for it. And uh, like I said, I, I don't think there's another player that's ever going to be that kind of um, physical and skillful force uh, on the ice. All right, Mike. Thanks again for joining you have yourself a lovely evening. All right. Thanks, John. We'll talk again next week, hopefully.